Hey, welcome to the men's global live stream. If you have a Bible and you're watching, I want you to hold two spots. The first one is in 2 Corinthians 10, and the other one is Psalm 141. We're in part four of a series called Whatever the Weather, and the idea is that bad weather makes it hard. It makes it hard to do what you want to do. It makes you hard to do life. In fact, I'm all uh, geared up. I have a warmer clothes on. I have a ball cap on. It is storming where the Everyman Broadcast Center is located here in Southern California. Lots of accidents. But the thing about bad weather, it just kind of interrupts your flow. It tests your insides. It redirects and refocuses kind of your energy because you didn't plan on it. And the big idea in this series is that life on earth, according to Jesus, is going to deal up some unexpected and unwelcomed storms that are going to do a couple of things. One, it's going to test your relationship with God and your view of God. And then number two, and this is the revealing part, it's going to expose your view of God and your relationship with God. But here's been our point through parts one through three, is that God's man knows that God's character does not change with my circumstances. God's promises don't change with my circumstances. His presence doesn't fluctuate with my circumstances. And his attitude of love toward me and concern about me doesn't change with my circumstances. But that's the spiritual battle isn't it? A lot of times we tend to believe that when our circumstances change somehow to the negative, that, that God's abandoned us or God's not thinking about us. Not true. So in this series, Whatever the Weather, the, war, the goal of our, our teaching has been that we're never going to stop worshiping God, whatever the weather. We're not going to stop praying to God, whatever the, the weather. We're not going to stop believing, seeking, trusting, giving thanks to God. That was part one. And then in parts two and three, and today four, we're looking at the strong bases for being that kind of God's man who's consistent no matter what his circumstances are. And in part two, a strong basis we learned for just continuing to pray, worship, seek God, believe, was that God sees us like no other, God's near us like no other, and God's involved. Whether we're in success or failure, he's involved with us in both spots like no other, right? In part three, we learned that another strong basis for just being consistent, whatever our circumstances are, is that we have powerful spiritual weapons and tools at our disposal that just keep us rooted, that keep us focused, that keep us aligned with God and our identity. And as we're aligned with God and our identity as God's man, whatever the weather, because we know who we are, we know what to do. And we know we have spiritual weapons that are going to produce a couple of things. Rest, number one, in the presence. And then two, reassurance about the future. As we stay consistent, we get that rest inside our spirit. We get reassurance inside our spirit. God's presence comes, and we don't have to get pushed off the mark or panic or have fear, right? And in part four, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what I believe when circumstances change, when life dishes up 
even its most severe storms that test and expose. We're going to look at the strongest basis for being God's man, whatever the weather. Um, and to get us thinking in the right direction, I want to show you one of the most amazing sculptures in the world. What you're looking at on your screen is the David by Michelangelo. Now, Michelangelo's David is massive, okay? It's 17 feet tall. It weighs more than 12,000 pounds, and yet it is sculpted from a single block of white marble. And when asked about his approach to his greatest sculpting masterpiece, Michelangelo simply said, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. In other words, he had a clear vision in his mind's eye and then removed everything that was not a part of it. Now, God has a vision in his mind for all men who become one of his sons. And his vision for us, men, listen, is nothing short of Christ-likeness. I will say it again. God has a vision for you in his mind as Christ is in you. And his vision is nothing short than Christ-likeness itself. And like Michelangelo, God is actively within and using all our circumstances, sort of as his, his hammer and his chisel to remove those aspects of our character and of our conduct that are inconsistent with his vision, what he sees of Christ-likeness. Now, here's the difference. You are not a static, inanimate, block of marble. No, you're a created being that actually works with the sculptor of Christ-likeness in you. And as a created being, working with the sculptor, we allow God to use our circumstances to accomplish this great work of his in us and through us. And each time we let God chisel and hammer using the things that he allows into our life, guess what happens? The Christ inside of us starts coming out and becoming visible, and he sets free what he sees inside of us. Now, keep that thought in mind, all right? The David, Michelangelo, seeing a vision inside the marvel, removing everything that's inconsistent with it, and setting that vision free. Keep that thought in mind as we look at our key verse for the series. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, our whatever the weather verse. Let's read it together. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Like I said at the top, we're not going to stop. Whatever the circumstances, we're not going to stop praying. We're not going to stop giving thanks. We're not going to stop worshiping whatever our circumstances because that's God's will. God's man does God's will. Why don't you say that with me? God's man does God's will. All right? Here in the Bible, it says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That no matter what's going on, you're, you're worshiping, you're praying, and you're giving thanks in all circumstances. Now, we look at this next scripture on your notes, and we see this 
kind of basis for making sure that we stay consistent and we stay doing these things that's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5, all right? We find that basis in Romans 8, 28, and 29. Let's read that together, ready? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, listen, to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now we're gonna unpack next, if you have the downloaded notes, which I highly recommend, we're gonna unpack four simple observations from this truth in God's word about how he's at work in our circumstances. And the first thing that we see is that there is a great assumption, right? for God's man, and it, we find it in the language, and we know, all right? Know what? Well, that leads us to our second observation. So God's man's supposed to know something. What's he supposed to know? Number two, a great reality, right? In all things, God works, right? That, that there's this, no situation, no success, no failure, no... Uh, victory, no defeat, no, no bad choice, no good choice, no temptation, no test, no triumph. God's at work. Whether you're at the peak or whether you're in the valley or whether you're in just the normal mix of life, he's always working, always able to use your successes. He's also able to use your worst failures for his glory. So the great assumption and we know, what do we know? We know a great reality that God is at work in all things, doing good, right? And, and then we observe very simply that there's a great process. Well, what's that great process that we know? And, and how did, what is he actually working, right? Well, we see that great process in the verse that we're being conformed to the image of his son. There's that, there's that, that block, right, of marble Michelangelo had. He saw the angel within it, and he just said, I'm going to take out everything that doesn't belong to that vision. <laughs> right? God sees Christ in you, and he's going to use all circumstances, all things, for the purpose of setting free the Christ in you, and setting free Christ through you. What an amazing privilege. And then what's the result? That's the next observation. We see a great result. More people who think and act like Christ. This text says that he's conforming us to the image of his son. Every man who believes in Christ, he's conforming us. So God wants uh, millions upon millions of people in, in the family of God who are like Christ, right? People who think like Christ, people who act like Christ. Man of God, if you're watching this, what does God want for you? Well, he wants you to know that he uses all things in your life for his purposes, right? Your circumstances don't define you, God defines you, and that there's a process going on right now, especially for those of us who are going through major suffering. All right, there's a process going on. God's conforming us to the image of Christ and he 
he's doing some of his best work now, right, in that process. Now, Paul describes this, what we just observed, this, this assumption, right, this reality, this process, this result, right, more people thinking and acting like Jesus, like they have the family resemblance, so to speak. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to Christians, and listen to the Word of God right now, what it's saying to us about this process. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears, right? God's chiseling the character of Christ in you, in me, right now. And guess what? He's not stopping. And he's using everything. And he's not going to stop until you're perfected and until you're in his presence. So if you're alive and you're on earth and you're not with God in heaven, this is what God is up to. You know, I read in the background of the David that Michelangelo, he hardly ate it all. His vision was so clear, he couldn't stop working at it and keeping at it because he didn't want to lose the vision. So he just kept tirelessly working away until the David became what it was. Here's the difference between Michelangelo and God, right? God doesn't get tired. God can focus and focus with the same energy, with the same energy that he had a minute ago, an hour ago, a year ago, decades ago, centuries ago, millennia ago, he does not change, his energy doesn't stop, and he can do it with every single man who claims a relationship with Jesus Christ where Christ lives in that man and he is working to set the Christ in you free and the Christ through you free. So let's now look at, now that we have the basis, right, that no matter what's happening around us, God's process continues. That's what God's up to when you get interrupted. That's what, what God's up to when you have an unwelcome situation. That's what God's up to even mm, mm, when you lose somebody super close to you. right? To be like Christ in his resurrection, you have to be like Christ in his suffering. You have to know suffering before you can know resurrection. And so let's look now at God's most powerful tool, I believe, for forming Christ in us, which is suffering. And four key things that God's man just takes to heart, all right? Now let's look at the setup, Philippians 3.10. says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You know, there's a man of God talking, and he's talking about wanting to know Christ at the deepest possible level. And what does that look like? Well, it's to know the power of his resurrection, of course. Glory, right? Life out of death, but but what pre preluded the, the resurrection Paul says, and 
participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You know, if, if it were up to most of us, which said, so you want to become like Christ in his resurrection only, or you want to become like Christ, you know, in his death? We'd go, I'll take resurrection. I'll take a triple portion of resurrection, and uh, we'll put that becoming like him in his death thing away. But here's the problem. We wouldn't become complete in Christ. In fact, we wouldn't even have that intimacy with Christ if we don't suffer with Christ. You see, when we meet Jesus, you know, he's going to go, hey, you know what? I saw you doing the same thing I had to do on earth. You trusted God in your suffering. Way to go. And then that's our that's our bond. That's what, what Jesus did during his life on earth. That's what Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane, right? So what does God want us to know about suffering? Number one, he wants us to know that suffering may possess our bodies, but not our spirit. Yeah, your, your body's in a circumstance. My body's in a circumstance right now. We got really bad weather in Southern California. I'm in the studio, but what's happening out here does not define what I'm going to think, how I'm going to be, and how I'm going to behave in here, right? And God wants us to know that. And there's a passage, that's the passage I told you to hold at the top, in 2 Corinthians 4, and it starts in verse 7, but on this idea that circumstances possess our body but not our spirit, Paul says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Do you see what's going on here? You've got circumstances possessing the body of the man of God, but not controlling his spirit, right? And Paul talks about how that shows in this fragile, weak vessel, a jar of clay, which breaks very easily. And the people he wrote this to got this image. He says, we have this all-surpassing power to overcome the outer breaking that circumstances can inflict upon us. And when that happens, this power comes out, right? The jar is broken and the power that's the possess what the, the jar possesses actually comes out. And then he describes it in that, boy, we're hard pressed on every side. Not crushed, power, right? We're perplexed, all right? I'm confused about this situation, but I'm not in despair. Power, right? I'm persecuted, all right? I'm not alone. Power, okay? Struck down, all right? Not destroyed. I'm getting back up, power, right? You see, the man of God does not allow circumstances to define him. Why? Because he has power, right? Yeah, he's a fragile jar of clay. We can get physically hurt. We can get emotionally hurt. We can get relationally hurt. Psychologically, we can have trauma and things can really, really hurt us. But for the person who knows Christ, the Bible says that in that jar of clay, in, this, in this, this fragile thing, this jar of clay, right, we, we have this precious possession. We have a treasure. And when things afflict us on the outside, 
Our outer person might be broken, but our inner person, boom. It's not going to crush us. It's, we're not going to get into depression. No. Why? Because we have hope, and we have the person of Christ, and we have God working all things together for the good of those who love him, and he's chiseling and using these things to make us like Christ. We're becoming like Christ in his death. So that's the first thing we need to know about suffering. It may possess your body. It does not possess your spirit. Why? Because you know that God is at work using that suffering to make you like Christ. Secondly, we have to go right down in the passage. Suffering releases Christ in ways successes can't. You follow that, right? Suffering releases Christ in ways that kind of successes really can't. Listen to Paul speak as we go down in that passage in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, suffering, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Then he finishes it up and he says, so death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You know where I see this truth of how suffering releases Christ in a way successes can't is in the hospital. You know, when I visit men of God who their body is possessed by a circumstance and a disease, and it may not be going very well, but you know what many of them say? They're like, Kenny, my voice for Christ has never been louder. And, and these, these can be very, very successful men in other ways, successful in business, successful you know, in life, successful in relationship. But when people come to visit them, because they see this person's body possessed or ravaged by a disease, but then they see this, the power of Christ, their spirit, man, they're all ears. It's like, it's like a vial with a strong fragrance inside of it. It's almost like the vial breaks, right? The circumstances happen. But then because the vial has broken, the concentrated fragrance in that oil or that perfume it all comes out at once, right? Versus just dabbing it. You know, there are, there are some releases of God's power that require the breaking of the vial. And I see that in, in the hospital. Um, I spent a year of my life on the seventh floor of Western Medical Center. I was an oncology chaplain, and I would, I would, I would walk with Christians through through a season of their life that is really rough. They're suffering. And I would watch so many of them go through it, and it was exactly what Paul talks about here, how in their body they're carrying around a physical death. Jesus died physically. He suffered. And they're carrying around in their body suffering, but then what happens is, is, is that their suffering gets transformed into this life-giving ability because of their suffering. And it's like, man, the vial with the fragrance of Christ breaks, their, their body's breaking, but out comes this, this aroma of life, this truth, this testimony, these words, and they start leading people to Jesus. 
in, in just the most beautiful, wonderful ways. They start speaking truth into the hearts of lifelong friends or daughters or nephews or sons that, that maybe in, in other, if they were well or in their success, those people never would have heard. So suffering possesses the body, but not the spirit. Suffering releases Christ in a way that successes can't. Third, suffering ignites faith that creates testimonies. It's kind of connected to what I just said. Listen to what Paul said. And as he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, he's undergoing suffering. So he knows from what he talks about. He writes this, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Here's this language again. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this suffering is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. All right, so Paul, God's man, is in a circumstance of suffering. And he's saying, you know what? I believe some things are happening in my suffering, and I'm going to tell you what I believe is going on right now. And, and the first thing that he believes is that, is that suffering is a precursor to a resurrection. Right? He believes that God, if he is suffering in faith, if he is believing God, worshiping God, seeking God in his suffering, like Jesus did, that on the other side of that suffering, in Christ and for Christ and believing in Christ, that there's going to be a huge resurrection, either in this life or in the one to come. That's why he says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So immediately on the other side of the suffering, there's going to be a resurrection or ultimately there's going to be a resurrection. And that's what you need to take to the bank. Man of God, as you're going through circumstances, that's what I need to take to the bank. And, and it's this, that, that when we suffer, God never wastes suffering, especially suffering that is, is happening and the man of God is in it in faith. All right, there's going to be a huge payoff, all right? If we keep worshiping, keep praying, keep believing, keep trusting God, keep letting God chisel and hammer Christ out of us through our suffering. That's the first thing he believes. There's suffering and then there's a resurrection. There's something good on the end of this that's gonna happen. It's gonna give God glory and show his power. Secondly, he believes that suffering is the gasoline of revival, right? Suffering is outweighed by what God accomplishes through it. Look at what he says back in that verse. He says, so that the grace of God that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. All right. Now that goes back to that point of suffering ignites faith that creates testimonies. What we see in that passage of scripture is that because Paul's suffering, he's able to believe something in his suffering and then tell other Christians. What's he telling them? Hey, guys, if they're suffering, there's a resurrection. Hey, guys, if they're suffering, 
guess what? It's gonna cause more and more people to overflow with thanksgiving to the glory of God. They're gonna hear about our suffering, they're gonna hear about our suffering in God and for God, and more people are gonna experience God's grace, all right? So those are the first three things, powerful things, that, that God wants you to know about suffering. It may possess your body, it doesn't possess your spirit. Suffering releases Christ in ways successes can't. That's the, the whole broken vial that releases concentrated fragrance and aroma, right? Christ in you comes out in powerful ways. Suffering ignites faith that creates testimony, right? I believe, therefore I speak. What do I believe? I believe that 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 crucifixion is precedes resurrection. Suffering precedes glory, and I also believe that suffering also creates belief in others as I walk in that suffering in faith. Lastly, suffering is outweighed, but by what God accomplishes through it. Parenthetically, in us and through us, right? Suffering is outweighed by what God accomplishes through it. So here's this, this, this dialogue where Paul's talking about suffering and he sort of closes out his point like there's a basis for trusting God. He uses suffering. You're becoming like Christ. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. He says, therefore, all right, based on what I just said, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed. Day by day, right? God's setting us free. The image of Christ is coming out. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, Christians, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. All right? So you see that the suffering is not Paul's focus. And he sees that, man, if I walk through this suffering, if I don't stop worshiping, if I don't stop praying, if I don't stop believing, if I don't stop seeking God, and I'm, I'm consistent whatever the weather, even when the suffering gets intense, all right, I am piling up an eternal weight of glory, right, that's going to go with me when I die, right? And it just kind of begs the question, right? Want to add eternal glory to your life immediately and ultimately, no matter what happens to you, don't stop believing in God. Don't change the way you do your faith. Don't think that because your circumstances have changed, God's attitudes towards you has changed. Don't stop worshiping, praying, giving thanks. Why? Because God who allowed Jesus to suffer before he gloriously resurrected him from the dead is doing the same thing with you. So what do I actually do when suffering on earth? Well, you have a basis, right? You do, you rejoice always, pray continually, you give thanks in all circumstances because that's God's will, right? That was, that was part one, all right? The next basis, right? is that, that God's up to something, all right? God's using your suffering, right? To make you like Christ, you have strong weapons, right? And, and here in this passage, Paul says, all right, that's where you gotta keep your focus. You gotta keep your focus on that eternal purpose that you have in your identity in Christ and that eternal things that are going on. Look at what he says to close out this conversation 
about how he's going to keep trusting God. Here's what you actually do. Let's read 2 Corinthians 4.18 together. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And you see, man of God, this is where we get to where the rubber meets the road. Whatever the weather in your life right now, all right? What is Paul saying, all right? He's saying this. Write this down. Stop letting suffering be a stumbling block to your faith, all right? Because God's at work in it. God's always at work. God's working, right? He's making you like Christ. And then two, write this down, start letting suffering be a stepping stone, all right? To greater maturity, greater faith, greater belief, greater Christ-likeness, all right? God's using our outer circumstances right now, whether that's success or whether that's failure, whether that's blessing or challenge, all right? Whether that's gain or loss, God's using it. He never wastes your circumstances. They're all working together, right? So because we know that, all right, as men of God, then we continue to act in faith, right? But with respect to the, one of the greatest bases for continuing to act in faith, God says, you know what? I see the Christ in him, and I will carve until I set the Christ in him free. Right? Just like Michelangelo and the David. God's got a vision for your life. His highest vision and noblest goal is that you become like Jesus. But to become like Jesus, you gotta become like him in his resurrection, and you gotta become like him in his death because God's committed to completing you in Christ. Let's pray together right now. God, thank you. Thank you for, for our blessings. We're grateful for those. Thank you for our challenges. We're grateful for those. And Lord, it's only because you are who you are and you promise what you promise that we can also say, God, thank you for this suffering that I'm going through. I, I can't make sense of it. There are some men out there that can't make sense of suicide right now. And if you're hearing the sound of my voice, that's okay. God doesn't expect you to make sense of that. He loves you. And he's reminding you of who you are. And he's reminding you of himself that he's good. And even in death, God can bring purpose and life. He's shown us that in the death of his son, which was unjust and unfair and untimely. There are men right now who are suffering because of choices they've made and their families are really hurting because of the choices that they've made. God's using that too. Now you may or may not, God wants you to know, you may or may not win back your family, but you're gonna be God's man in this situation. You're gonna do the right thing. You're gonna repent. You're gonna do what's right by the, to, for the people that you have hurt by your choice. There's men watching right now. I can just I can just feel and sense you right now. You're suffering because um, you have a health issue. Uh, you have a new diagnosis of cancer. There are men who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, and God wants you to know, 
that he's with you, he's near you, he sees you, he's involved with this, and that he wants you to know that your voice right now as people interact with you is never louder than right in this moment. The Christ in you is going to break out of the vial. And though you feel like you're your body is breaking and not working right. Lord, the, the vial is open and your faith is coming out right now. That's what the situation is for. And God wants you to know that. Whether you recover, or whether you go home to be with the Lord, God wants you to know that. Lord, there are so many men right now listening to my voice who have, they suffer in private. God, would you be with them right now and let them know you're not far, that you're working that you love them, and that you're making them like Christ. So I pray right now, just a spirit of power to trust. I bless them with a spirit of power to believe. I bless them with the Holy Spirit, that power to pray and to worship and to declare your goodness, not in the absence of their suffering, but in the middle of it, God. In the middle of their suffering, let them declare praise and worship and worthiness to the one who made them and who is able to take suffering and death and turn it into glory and resurrection. So God, I believe you to do that right now for every man hearing my voice who's suffering. And I declare his victory right now in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us uh, for this series. If you missed a part, go back and watch one, and we'll see you next time.